0: Good, wonderful Bible study. Friends, we are here at another Bible study, and we are grateful to come before you and to study the Word of God. So, of course, remember to like, share, and do all those things that you uh, normally do. We appreciate those of you who have already logged in. Uh, I see uh, several of you. Uh, I see Ja'Kayla on here as well. So uh, let's bow our heads. And let's go before the Lord in prayer. Dear, gracious heavenly father, God, we give you praise and thanksgiving. God, we love you, magnify you. Thank you for all that you are and all that you mean. You are the great, wonderful, awesome God. And for that, we thank you. And for that, we praise you. Now, God, we're asking that you would move and that you would touch. God, first of all, we uh, ask that you would strengthen all those that are grieving in Deliverance Temple. God, all of the loss that we've experienced in the last uh Uh, days and weeks. God, we ask that you would strengthen us, God, and give us wisdom and clarity on how to move forward. And God, we know you can do it for us, God, and we thank you for it. God, we thank you that you are illuminating our ears to hear and illuminating my mouth to speak so that the word of God will go forth richly. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sister Nadine, hello, Sister Nadine. So good to see you. God bless you. All right, what we're going to do is do what we've been doing. We're going to look back at uh, Sunday's service. But um, I will give a little redress to the season that we found ourselves in. And uh, it, it has been rather trying and difficult, what we have been uh, facing and looking at. And um, as a leader... I would have to say that um, for me specifically, when, when it relates to my father specifically, I'm having success in moving forward, uh, uh, definitely as it, as it relates to the church. I have my personal moments where, where I have to get through things, but overall I feel a lot of strength. But. As I've said before, and it's kind of funny to hear me say that since I'm still so young, but when my babies go through, in other words, when the members are hit with things, then that is an extra level of pain for me because I hurt when the people hurt. And so when it's just me and my family hurting, I can deal with that. But it's when y'all are hurting on top of it, that's when it really bothers me. And I think that's, that's a good thing. That means that I am a shepherd. That means I have a shepherd's heart and I care for you, but I'm also processing saying, God, what does this mean? What are, what are we supposed to learn in this? Cause this is too much is what I'm saying. So having said that, let's see if there's anything that we taught on Sunday that would be beneficial for us right now, because the last death that we heard of happened after Sunday. But oftentimes when God speaks to us, he speaks to things that are not just in our present. He speaks to our future. So I'm quite interested to see if there's anything that we can grab from what was already taught that God was preparing us and preparing us for how we are going to navigate through this. So the sermon title was, I didn't expect it. I didn't, expected. And we were looking at uh, specifically the idea of expectation as it relates to faith and hope. Oftentimes when when, uh, people are teaching the Bible and teaching Christians, they talk about how our level of expectation aids in us receiving the manifestation of God. And that is absolutely true. But what happens when you're in a season where you didn't expect it? And that's what we wanted to look at. So the three words that I thought were important to lift out would be expect, experience, and earnestly. Expect, experience earnestly. One final time, expect, experience, and earnestly. So When we looked at the definition of expect, it was to regard something as likely to happen, which makes sense to believe that someone or something will arrive soon. In other words, you're looking for something, anticipating something. But then there was this saying that that I found that I've heard said in church, and I totally agree with it, but it was something I wanted to bring out that I think would help us understand the seasons that we sometimes go through. And here's what it was. It was expectation is the breeding ground for seeing, believing and receiving. So I've always heard it this way that expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. In other words, God has a miracle working power, But a lot of what God does is based on our level of expectation. And I would say that I agree with that. I don't say that there's anything wrong with that. But God was showing me something a little different on Sunday or actually uh, throughout the week as I was preparing the sermon. And it had to do with that next word that I wanted to lift out. And it is the word experience. So we're going to bring that up. Experience one, an event or occurrence that leaves an impression on someone. That was something that jumped out to me, something that leaves an impression on someone. So certain experiences have a way of leaving an indelible impression upon a person or an imprint. Your experiences, both positive or negative, can leave an impression on you. Also, practical contact with and practical contact with and observation of facts or events so things that leave an impression on you and then the practical contact you have with things that you've observed or facts or events let me bring up that word facts when it comes to faith we have faith and then we have facts Faith is based in truth, but many times what we experience is based in facts. In other words, I have cancer. That is the fact. The truth that I'm basing my faith on is the scripture says I am healed. So faith is saying one thing and facts is saying another thing. But when you have certain facts that have left an impression on you, They have a way of crippling your expectation because expectation and experience are often coupled together. And I use the example Sunday of if someone was to say to you, I'm going to take you on a date and I'm going to take you somewhere nice that is going to raise your anticipation level. That's going to raise your expectation level. If they say, get dressed, I'm going to take you somewhere nice. Wear something nice, I'm going to take you somewhere nice. Now your expectation is up. If they take you to Fazoli's, that probably wouldn't be your level of nice. So the next time someone says, I want to take you somewhere nice, now because of that experience, your expectation won't be as high as it was the first time. Another example that I could use, people who have to, who have or have dealt with what we call deadbeat dads, they, over time, their expectation is lowered because dad said he was going to take me to King's Island. He was going to take me to the amusement park. He said he was going to take me hunting, but he didn't show up. So now my experience now drives my expectation. Now, we have to be very careful of that. Because we still want our expectation to be up because now faith is the substance of things hoped for. So we still want to be hopeful, but we can be honest and say that our experiences in life, the facts that we've experienced, the things that have left impressions on us, like our childhood or, uh, or even the last prayer that we prayed, because not every prayer that we pray is answered in the way we want it to be answered or think it should be answered. So that has a way of affecting our expectation. And so it is unfair to tell people to expect, 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 and never bring in the fact that their experiences have a lot to do with the way they expect or how they expect. Now, you shouldn't allow it to cripple your expectation altogether, but you can be honest and say that certain things that I've experienced has me Weak in faith or low in faith or weak in expectation or low in expectation, because every time I expect I get this. And when this is lower than what you expect, when your experience keeps bringing you something lower than what you expect, it's going to affect your expectation. And what's going to happen is sometimes God is going to have to bring things to you that you didn't expect. And the reason why you didn't expect it is because you couldn't expect it. You take some of our single uh, people, single men and single women in this ministry who relationships haven't worked out. You can tell them to believe for marriage or believe for relationship. But based on their experiences, many times it's hard to muster the type of expectation you need to bring manifestation. So what happens in those times, what the premise of the sermon was, is that many times because God in his sovereignty is so good to us, he will override when we can expect. And that is only based on this final word that we brought up and here it is, earnestly which means with sincere and intense conviction or seriously. And so I'm going to give us a chance to subscribe, like again, and and all that other good stuff. But what I was trying to express on Sunday and what the Lord was showing me is that even when your expectation is weakened by your experience, there is something else that you can rest on, and that is your earnestness. Even though we use the word word earnestly, it is how earnest you are in the things of God. How earnest are you when it comes to the things of God? In other words, how serious. If you are serious about your convictions in God, then oftentimes you will see God will override even your expectation. He will override your worst experience if you are willing to be serious about God, even When it's hard to expect, or let me put it just very simple. When you cannot believe, will you still go to God seriously? Or will you start going through the motions? Okay. Yeah, God, I I love you. I praise you. Fix my situation. Heal me. Amen. Okay. When you have been that weakened in your faith that you can't approach God seriously, then you need to take a check at your earnesty. How earnestly have you been approaching God? You have to get to the mindset that I may be hurting, but I will pray anyway. I will praise anyway. I will worship anyway. I will come to you. I will come before your throne still in a serious manner. And this is what we have to get through our heads that regardless of what we're facing, regardless of what we are presently in, God is still God. And he still deserves that when we interact with him, we interact with him as if he is still the miracle worker, which he is. Now, you may not have seen a miracle for years, for decades, but that doesn't mean he's not a miracle worker. So you approach him based on who he is. You approach him based on what his word says he is. You don't approach him based on what you are currently experiencing. So you don't allow your experience to cripple your earnesty. Experience has a way of crippling your expectation, but it's up to you to allow the experience to cripple your earnesty. In other words, I'm still serious about God. Well, when God going to bless you, when he going to work it out? I don't know. Well, why don't you give up? I'm still serious about God. Do you remember what Job went through? And it happened in such a way that his wife said, you might as well curse God and die. Now, many people jump on his wife for saying this, but we have to understand when Job lost his kids, his wife lost her kids as well. So she was going through a lot as as he was. But she came to the conclusion that we should withdraw our earnesty from God. Let's just curse God, die, let it be over. And Job was like, Nah, I can't go to that level yet. Now, I, I'm frustrated with God, but I cannot turn in my earnesty because at the end of the day, he said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Now he wasn't totally correct because the scripture shows us the backstory that it was Satan that took away, but, but he was partly true in the fact that God allowed it, but he said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. So basically he was saying, I still have to go to God with everything that I have because he still is the sovereign Lord. And when you are sure in your convictions about God, I'm going to go back to that definition. When you are earnest and sincere and you have an intense and serious conviction, there are certain things you just will not, cannot do. I want to backslide and quit and give up, but I can't because my earnesty is so sincere. In other words, when I was in good times, I wasn't playing with God I was sincere about God and now that I'm in bad times my sincerity won't just get up and walk away because it is based on my conviction uh... let's see how how can I I say it? I, I think I've got something that I can write how about this we've we've talked about this before but this will help us understand when you have Core values. When you have a core set of values, or let me say it this way. This is a good, good way to say it. What about your motive? Your core motives. I'm going to give you one more word and then we'll I'll go back and try to explain what I'm saying. Here's the last word. your motor what drives you what what are the things that drive you what what are your core values what are your motives the reason why i like to use the word motor when i think of motives because what are the things that make you really tick if you are one who seeks after god then being in the presence of god actually drives you It is your motor. So just like a real motor will not function without oil and it won't fire without the gasoline that will will cause it to engage. Then if you don't have God in your life, you won't engage. Now, if you're going through the motions and you're faking the funk, then you don't have to have God because your motor is not based on God. Your core value is not based on God. But when your core value is based on God and God alone, even when you try to withdraw from him, things won't work because your motor is based in him. Uh, The example that I like to use all the time is Jeremiah, who said, "Okay, I I quit. I'm done with this. These people aren't listening to me. God has given me a message that nobody wants to hear. And so I I stopped. But then he said, I got weary trying to forbear it. or I got weary trying to hold it in because it became like fire shut up in my bones because the motor of who he was, that he was ordained to be a prophet to the nations. So him trying to stop talking and him trying to hold back and pout, it didn't work because what really drove him was doing the will of God. That's what he was created to do. And when your motor is aligned with your purpose, some things you just can't do. You can't back up. You can't quit. You can't lose your convictions. You can't lose your earnesty because that's the thing that drives you. All right, let's 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 go back to this point. And this is really what sun, summed up the sermon. I summed it up before I taught anymore and went to scripture, but this summed it up. I didn't expect it because of my past experiences. Another way to say it is I didn't expect it because I couldn't expect it. I had been disappointed So many times, I've been let down so many times, I've had so much bad news, so many things happen. The reason why I didn't expect it is because I literally couldn't expect it because of what I've been experiencing. I didn't expect it because of my past experiences, but I held on earnestly and refused to give up. Then I ended up experiencing what I didn't even expect. So the point is that if you are earnestly strong in your convictions with God, let let me pull this back up. If your motor is centered around God, then all you have to do is outlast whatever you are currently experiencing. Now, now I can't promise you that what you're experiencing will just get up and leave real quick. It may be a season. But if you can outlast it, then your motor will drive you to better days. So sometimes you just gotta hold on. And we've heard messages taught about that, songs sung about that. Hold on. Hold on to your change coming. Even Job says, I I listen, I I'm going to basically hold until till till I get the breakthrough. And now you are just in the place saying that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get it. I'm going to make it. I don't know when. I don't know how. But one thing I can't do is quit. Because if I quit, I'll never see why I was allowed to go through this. Now, here's the question that I've been asking God as it relates to this church: Why are you allowing us to go through such pain? Uh, something else that I'm asking God that close around the end of July, August, God told me there was going to be a season of miracles. I I heard I heard about a few things and I was like, oh, man, it's getting ready to get better. Now we're getting all this junk, all this pain. And we're not just talking about regular pain. We're talking about death, tragic death. And so it's like, okay, you're telling me about miracles and now we're not getting miracles as it relates to healing. So what what are you saying? Possibly God is saying that the season that we are going through is actually coupled with the miracles. That in order for us to see the type of miracles that we're going to see, it takes us understanding how frail we are, how lost we are without God, how hopeless that when things hit us, I don't care how saved we are when certain things hit you, they have a way of weakening you and crippling you. And it puts you in a place where you need the miraculous, you need God to show up and show out. So maybe the season that we're in of pain is tied to the miracles. I can't, I can't say for sure. These are just questions that I'm asking God, because it's like, why this doesn't feel right? It doesn't feel fair. Uh, this is what I've been telling him. This is too much. This is just too much. God, I, I, I need you to stay the hand of death. This is just too much. However, even though I'm saying that, and the reason why I'm saying it, because I'm honest with God, I don't play with God. I tell them just what I feel. Tell him just what I'm going through. If it if it stinks, and excuse my, my French, if it sucks, I'll tell him, God, this sucks. I, I don't like this. I'm, o- it's, I'm okay with telling him the truth because I'm in a real relationship with him. It's not a routine with me. I'm not just in this because I'm a pastor. No, I'm really in a relationship with God. So I talk to him for real. However, there's something in my motor. There's something in me earnestly that just won't let me quit, that won't let me just be like, forget forget y'all, y'all find another pastor or lock the doors up, board it up or cardboard. I don't care what you do. I'm gone. It's something in me that just won't let me think like that because there's something in me that believes that I serve a God who always will bring you out on the other side better than what he brought you into uh, or what he allowed you to get into into. So I'm holding on to that. But do I have a whole lot of proof that God's going to bring us out? No, I got to trust by faith. But there's something about the earnestly that I have, that how I've earnestly sought him, how I have earnestly read the word. So now that we are in crisis time, word is in me. It's not a good idea to wait till you're in a crisis to look for the word. You need to be in the word before the crisis comes and then you'll have something when the crisis is there. And I have earnestly sought God and earnestly prayed and earnestly read the word and earnestly given it and all these things. And I'm believing that I have harvests out there that are gonna help me get through these things. Now, I need to pause and talk about something that, that god has brought to my mindset that i do need to bring to us um there there was oh probably it was the end of last year sometime around the end of last year uh i I read a book by a theologian named nt wright and it was discussing the resurrection and he, he made a very interesting statement uh, amongst many of the things that he shared. But one of the things he shared is that the church has misplaced their um, emphasis. He said, oftentimes, that the church has put their emphasis on Christmas because of Jesus being born. He said, there's nothing wrong with emphasizing Christ being born, but not to the expense of Easter because Christ didn't just come to be born. He came to die, but he came to die to rise again. So our hope really is in the Easter story or the resurrection. So we thank God that Jesus came, but he came in a manger. He came as the lamb, but he rose as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he, N.T. Wright began to say the great hope of the believer is not just salvation. Thank God that he was born and he came, but it is in the resurrection because we're not just saved for this life. We're saved to live again. And he called it life after life after death. In other words, we oftentimes preach life after death is in, in other words, because Jesus came into this earth. We can be saved. And that gives us our ticket to heaven but he began to speak about the resurrection and the resurrection is deeper than just heaven. The resurrection is where the bodies that have been what we call in the ground, they have been decomposed. They're in dust, skeletons, that there is a new body. And the scripture says that, that mortality will take on immortality. So, so I don't have time to get into all the depths of it, but, it was interesting that I read it prior to us going through the seasons that we've been going through. But the the people who are in heaven now are in spirit form, possibly spirit and soul, but they don't have resurrected bodies. God is waiting for the wrapping up of the age to where he brings us all together and there is a great resurrection. And then the scripture says the dead in Christ shall rise first. In other words, those bodies will rise first. Well, the reason why there needs to be resurrected bodies is because what I've been telling us that he said, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And in those resurrected bodies, you'll be able to travel between heaven and earth. And so we don't know all that God has planned, but the resurrection is amazing. So I say that to say this, that in the the deaths that we have seen in this church recently all of the 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 people who have died have known the lord in some way shape or form so while we weep we can't weep as if there are not going to have a resurrection that they're not going to it's not it's it's greater than just heaven they're experiencing heaven but it's more than that and we too, when we are resurrected, we'll be able to, to flow and function with them. So it's okay to grieve, but we can't forget that they, them having a relationship with God, specifically our apostle had a great deep relationship with God. So if he, if, if he had a choice, he probably, would, no, I wouldn't say probably, he wouldn't come back. He wouldn't trade what he has for where we are. So we have to understand and be okay with that, that he earnestly sought God and he has his reward. So that's what we're working toward and it shall come. Now the Bible does say we won't won't all sleep. Some of us will sleep meaning die. Some of us will die before the rapture and resurrection. Some of us will be caught up to meet him in the air, in the, the resurrection. In other words, our bodies will be changed In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, if we die before he comes back, we will spend some time in the current heaven and then we will get resurrected bodies. If we are here when he comes and returns, what we call the second coming, if we are here for, for that, it'll be different. So so there's no way we lose. So we just have to be earnest enough to get through where we presently are. Because what we experience in all of eternity is going to be grand and great, so we can't quit now. We uh, go back to that. We got to make sure that our our motor, our mo- motor is solid. We, we we don't want our motor deteriorating now because we we need it to be right for where we're going to go. All right, I, I took a lot of time setting that up. Now I I need to get us into some of the the scripture that that we read on Sunday. So let's go to Acts chapter 12. A lot of times I'm going through several scriptures, but this is all in the same chapter. Uh, Since this is my Bible study group, I can explain that to you. There is topical preaching and then there's expository preaching. Topical preaching is when you have a topic and you bring several uh, scriptures to support that topic. Expository preaching is when you stay in one text. Specifically right in one text and you grab everything from that text. So in this particular sermon on Sunday, it was laid out expository. It was laid out it's all in the same text. Everything we get, we're not going into other verses to bring out the truth. They're all right there. So remember so remember that when uh you see me preach You'll know whether it's expository or it's topical I will say this that topical preaching is harder to get right because you can easily take things out of context to support what you believe because topical you're trying to grab scriptures to fit the topic so when I preach topically I have to be very careful that I'm not misconstruing things expository is a lot easier to get right because you're all in the same passage so That's just uh, a nugget to throw out there to remember. Expository and topical preaching. All right, Acts 12 and 1. We will be all in Acts because it's expository. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. Verse 2, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. I will take some time uh, to talk about about this because this is very important the scripture says he had james the brother of john the reason why that's very important is because uh it says he was put to death with a sword most believe he was beheaded the reason why that's important because when you get uh later on in the same chapter chapter 12 that the scripture says go tell james so after i preached one of the members came to me and asked the question he's like if james was put to death in verse 2 why are they saying, go tell James later? Well, it's two different James, two important James that we, we know of. One was the brother of John, Peter, James, and John. Peter and Andrew were brothers. James and John were brothers. Peter, James, and John was the inner circle. I don't know what happened to Andrew, why he didn't make the inner circle of Jesus, but for whatever reason, he didn't. Peter and Andrew were brothers. James and John were brothers, but Peter, James, and John was that inner circle of jesus however jesus had brothers and he had a mother and he had brothers and he had, and sister uh, i can't remember if it was sisters or just a sister but they didn't believe he was the messiah until he rose again when he did rise again one of his brothers james really began to be a leader in the church so the apostle James that wrote the book of James is not the same James that got his head cut off. That is James, Jesus's brother, Jesus half brother end up becoming a great apostle of the church. So these are two different James, the James that we see walking with, with Jesus as a disciple is not the same James we see later on in the new Testament. The James that was Peter's, uh, um, that was John's brother and was hanging with Peter. He got his head cut off. So that's another fun fact to, to help you understand the Bible. Uh, some people say, well, the, the Bible has they just got too many names and mix up. Uh, in my job, there's two Andres on my job. They have a way of figuring out which Andre they're talking to. And just the same thing with the Bible. If you look close enough, the Bible will let you know which person we're talking about. All right, let's 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 get back to this. Verse three. When he saw that When he saw that this met with approval, though he were talking about his Herod, when Herod saw that this met with approval among the Jews, what was approved? Killing of James. He proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. So the the point that's being made is once Herod had James head cut off and the Jews enjoyed it, The Jews that were against the ones that were Christians, when they enjoyed it, he realized, oh, okay, let's grab the next one. So in other words, the church was under persecution. Now, here's something to remember. The church was doing well. There were miracles going on. And then all of a sudden, all this persecution happens. But when you track through acts and see what happens, it was because of the persecution that the church spread and grew. Maybe there would not be a church in Muncie if there wasn't persecution when the church started in Jerusalem. So oftentimes when you are under intense attack, there is a multiplication goal that God has in mind that will only work through attack. And he uses the ignorance of Satan to bring the attack to also sanction the multiplication. We see it way back with Job. Job was supposed to get double but Joe probably would have never sought double because he was fine where he was. It wasn't until Satan attacked him or God allowed Satan to attack him that he ended up graduating into double. So sometimes seasons of intense attack is actually what sanctions you and schedules you for multiplication. So maybe what Deliverance Temple is going through has to do with the multiplication that God is going to do in our life. I I shared it with some people, but one of the last things that I heard, I heard it in a voice message, my father praying. He was praying for Deliverance Temple. He he prayed for me as the pastor, but he said, add to the church daily such as should be saved. I'm praying for Deliverance Temple, praying for the church. He was laying in a hospital bed, but he was thinking about the multiplication of the church. So maybe the hell we're going through is the answer of the prayer. Just maybe. I don't know. We haven't seen the end of it yet. But sometimes we have seen throughout Scripture that persecution and trials and obstacles just schedule multiplication in your life. All right. So we're gonna to go to verse four. After arresting him, who? Arresting Peter, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers, which would be 16 soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. One thing that I, I see that in the providence of God is that um, Peter would have been killed earlier But because of the festival, uh, Herod knew it wouldn't have been good to kill during the festival. So he was going to wait. But that bought Peter some some time. So sometimes God does things when it doesn't look like uh, it doesn't look like he's he's helping. But sometimes he is. He allowed Peter to be arrested during the Passover time, which is going to work in Peter's favor. Now, why didn't he allow things to work in James favor? We don't know. We don't know why God chooses one thing and doesn't choose another. We don't know why one person gets healed and another doesn't. But we have to earnestly trust the providence of God, the sovereignty of God. And we also have to believe that the people that go on, that they aren't crying, that they are okay. I don't think that James would have traded uh, space with Peter. Because when you are in this earthen fallen world and you get a a glimpse of heaven and your rewards, there's very little things that will make you want to come back. There are people who have had out-of-body experiences and come back, and a lot of them said, I didn't want to come back. One particular lady told her family, don't pray me back no more. If I die again, leave me alone. Because what she experienced, what she saw while she was traveling into eternity she didn't want no part of this fallen earth so i don't believe james would have traded with peter so let's let's look at what the the bible says about the church acts 12 5 so peter was kept in prison but the church was earnestly praying to god for him going back to that motor now we know for a fact that James just got killed, and so it's it seems to be easy for us to just assume that they prayed for James too. I'm I'm sure based on all the miracles they had seen up until that point, they had seen the lame hap- uh, moving, and they seen three thousand people get saved. the The lame man uh, at the gate, they had seen uh, the the blessing of Ananias and and Sapphira. Uh, of how people were being blessed and then how a great judgment happened to them. They had seen the power of God. So when James got arrested, I'm pretty sure they just prayed thinking everything's going to be okay, but everything wasn't okay. And they got the worst outcome of the worst outcome. Now the same thing happens to Peter. And I'm sure based on that experience, somebody thought, man, it's, it's futile to pray. It doesn't make sense to pray because God didn't answer our last prayer. But the scripture says, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. They didn't allow their last experience to affect their earnestly. It may have affected their expectation, but they didn't allow it to expect their earnestly because they were earnestly praying to God. And we have to have that same mindset. I don't care how many no's you got. You got to keep praying for that. Yes. People who are successful in business, when you hear their story, there were always so many closed doors before they got to where they ended up that is in an amazing place. Some of the greatest companies have went through so much hell. Actually, many of you have in your closets a company called Blue Ribbon and don't know you had a company called Blue Ribbon because Blue Ribbon kept running into closed doors, closed doors, closed doors, closed doors. And one time in the company of Blue Ribbon, they came up with a new shoe. It was, Blue Ribbon is a shoe company. They came up with a new shoe and they named it Nike. They named a new shoe Nike. After all the trouble and trials of Blue Ribbon trying to get things off the ground and things happening and they've been sued and all kinds of stuff they came out with a shoe the named Nike and now you know Nike blew up and now you don't know what Blue Ribbon is because the name of the company was changed to Nike and it is the greatest uh, uh, sneaker company as far as as their revenue it surpassed Puma and Adidas which were before Nike But they wouldn't take no for an answer because in the motor, the the uh, founder, Phil Knight, he just felt like he was supposed to make something that was going to revolutionize the world. So he just wouldn't quit. And every time he got close to quit, something on the inside of him pushed him. And that's why we have Nike today. Steve Jobs got fired from Apple, the company he started. They fired him. But he was so innovative and so earnest, they had had to hire him back. And he was the one that brought out the iPhone and, and revolutionized technology because he wouldn't quit. Your motor has to drive you to not quit and say, I don't care how many no's I get. I don't care how many obstacles I see. I don't care how bad this feels or how yucky this feels or how much grief I'm in, or how much depression and anxiety or how much debt I'm in. There's something in me that won't let me let this thing go. It's my earnesty. And with my earnesty, I will earnestly seek you God, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when James has just died and Peter looks like he's going to die, I'm still going earnestly pray. So let's put up the point we you Sunday no matter what you've experienced. Pray anyway. Earnestly pray. Go for it anyway. The word earnestly here is a compound word in Greek. It has two parts. The first part meaning out and the second part meaning stretch. It is the idea behind our English word for tension. So Here's the, the idea that when you are stretched, that is the best time to tap into your earnesty and earnestly uh, go after God because it is in the tension of life that many times you find out what you really are made of. Um, Mother Woods would always say when the rubber meets the road, that's when you find if you got any tread on your tires. And it was an analogy. So when life comes at you hard and fast, that's where you find out what you are built on. I'm learning as a pastor that the members of Deliverance Temple, something's right with their motor. Because all that we have been through and are going through, and there are the obvious things that we're going through. And then there's the hidden things that people are going through that only I know as the pastor. But people keep coming to church. They keep logging in online. They keep lifting their hands and shouting amen and saying hallelujah. They keep tithing. They keep giving. They keep serving. There is something right with their motor. On the inside, they don't have quit in them. I talked to us all the time that my dad trained me that Mitchells don't quit. But I believe that has leaked out into the psyche of the deliverance simple members. We don't quit. We don't know how to quit. We can't quit cause there's something inside of us driving us saying that better days are ahead. We're going to make it. We're going to see it through. We, we're, we're going to overcome. We are more than conquerors. We are yet the head and not the tail. We are yet above only and not beneath We are yet, everything that God says we are is something about this crop of people that I pastor that they just don't have any quitting in them. So I love that even in the tension of life, they find their earnesty. All right, let's move further. It's translated in first Peter one twenty two as deeply or fervently. And it's used in Luke 22 44 where Jesus prays in anguish and more earnestly in the garden of Gethsemane. All right, let's move more. The image given is a focused and passionate prayer coming to God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind and saying, God, I mean business. I want what I'm asking of you. I'm not just going through the motions. Nothing bothers me more as a leader than Christians going through the motions. Now, I understand when you have negative things happen to you and you're dazed for a while or you're numb for a while. I understand going through the motions then. But at some point you snap out of it or you should snap out of it and you have to make decisions. And what some people do because they have not received what they wanted to receive They dial back their faith level and they just set it on cruise control because I don't want to be disappointed anymore. I'm not going to take any more risk. I'm not going to believe I'm not going to uh, stretch myself. Listen, you can talk to me about tithing all you want. There's no way I'm giving 10%. I'm going to stay at 1%. I'm going to give, but I'm not stretching myself because things don't work out for me. And then there's that other person that says, I can't go through the motions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I gave and it didn't work out, but, but I'm giving again. I'm going to try again. It's just something about the way I'm wired. I can't do this thing halfway. I got to do it all or nothing. Either I'm going to go out in the world and just be a hellion, or I'm going to be in this thing and I'm going to go all after it because there's something in me. My motor is driving me and saying the God that I serve, he's not going to fail me now. And the devil says, well, he done failed you a bunch of times. Well, 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 maybe it looked like failure and it felt like failure, but I'm going to try again just in case to see if God going to bring me out. And I'm here to let you know that I have seen God come through in the midnight hour, in the last moment, in the last seconds of the hour, in the fourth quarter, I've seen some breakthroughs and we're raising people in this ministry who are just saying, Hey, if I got to wait to the end, it's okay. I'm not giving up on God. I really don't want to, but if I, if I don't get some of my blessings till heaven, so be it. I'm not quitting. My motor won't let me quit. All right, let's, let's see if we go to this other verse, verse six, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up quick. Get up, he said, and the chains fell off of Peter's wrist. I took some time on Sunday to point some stuff out there. You'll just have to go pick that up and see what I talked about. But it's, it's some stuff in there that's interesting to me. Let's go to verse eight. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. Verse nine. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. It's interesting that Peter didn't say, oh, shoot, I I I knew an angel was coming to get me. Peter said, Oh my goodness. I thought I was dreaming. I had no idea. You know why? Because Peter didn't expect it. He, he didn't expect it because of the things that have transpired. Now, now we're, we're talking about our experiences, sometimes crippling our expectation, but sometimes the experience is not God not doing. Sometimes the experience is us not doing and when we do get caught into something, the first thing that we comes to our mind is, oh man, I messed up before. And maybe that's why God is not going to do because of me. Now I have no proof of this, but what if when Peter was locked up, his mind went to man, I did betray him? So if I did get my head cut off, I I, I understand it because he didn't he he didn't have no reason to accept me back. Sometimes our past failures will come up and it will try to rob us of things and it'll keep us from being able to expect. I'm not saying that that happened, but I'm just throwing that that out there. Verse 10, they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Here's. A side note that is good, even in supernatural events, God doesn't plan to do everything for us. He expects, uh, he expects us to do some things, too. Verse 11, then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Once again, Peter wasn't even sure for himself, but he came, it dawned on him. He realized, oh my God, I have just been delivered. Verse 12, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Verse 13, Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. Verse 14, when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. I always find that kind of funny that she got so excited she left him there and she went back to tell the the people. But I believe God allowed that to happen so that we could see the mindset of the people she went and told. Let's look at verse 15. You're out of your mind, they told her, when she kept insisting that it was so. They said it must be his angel. So they did not believe. The reason why they didn't believe is because they didn't expect it. Now, most of the times I've heard this taught and preached, they were like, look at them praying for stuff, and they weren't even believing. But when I put it together, the chain of events that happened, they had just prayed for somebody. They got their head cut off. So their expectation was limited based on their experience. So they really didn't expect it. Even when the answer showed up, it was very hard and very difficult for them to believe. Verse 16, but Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. The scripture didn't say, oh, man, we knew you were coming. No, they were flabbergasted. They were shocked. Why were they shocked? They didn't expect it. Why didn't they expect it? They probably couldn't expect it. And right now in the season to deliver as simple as in, I'm not judging you for your expectation levels. We've been hit with so much. It may be hard to expect, but here's the thing. As long as we're earnest, we still can see some powerful things happen. Here's a point. Even if we are in a season where we don't know how to believe for it, The answer is going to keep knocking until we see it. The Bible says it this way of the blessings, that the blessings will come on you and overtake you. They'll chase you down. And even when you can't believe for the blessing, the blessing will find you. Just like Peter, it will keep knocking until you open it and see, oh, this is real. I didn't expect it, but God did it anyway. Let's put this up. They didn't expect it, but they still experienced it because they earnestly prayed any way. And this is how we're going to close. We're going to go to this point here. If you hold on earnestly, the enemy that's been messing with your expectation will experience the wrath of God. And we brought that up when it showed how Herod had died. But this is the final point that we will make. I'll bring it side by side so I can kind of look at you in your eyes. I didn't expect it, but God did it anyway. So if you're in a season where because of all you've been through, it's lowered or weakened your expectation and you really couldn't expect, you tried to expect, but you couldn't expect. However, you held on to your earnesty. I'm here to let you know God's going to do it anyway. He's going to bless anyway, anyhow, even beyond your wildest dreams. Now, if everything we expect, if if we're supposed to get everything we expect, then this scripture wouldn't make any sense that he would do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. So there's some stuff that we don't even expect that he plans on doing. He plans on blowing our mind and going even beyond our faith level. Yes, we have faith for things. And yes, in some areas we have great faith, but God wants to do some stuff that's way beyond what we have experienced up to this point. And don't allow the trouble that we're in, the grief that we're facing to make us feel like God has left us. He hasn't left us. He's still there and he's going to blow our mind with how he comes through. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know what, but I do know that God will do it anyway. As long as our motor is right, as long as our motive is right, as long as we have the right stuff on the inside, I believe we're gonna get where God wants us to be. Um, We're going to take some time and we're going to get into prayer. Dear, gracious heavenly father, we thank you, love you and honor you. We magnify you for your hand. Now, God, this is much easier to preach than it is to live. God, I, I, I want you to lift, uh, the hearts of the woods, the Mitchells, the Ruckers, God, people who grew up when, uh, at the church when Deliverance Temple was such a young church, and that we all experiencing some deep loss, and 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 beyond that, even uh, uh, the Richmond family, just just the many ones that have lost uh, Sister Juanita and the loss of her granddaughter. Uh, just at least five deaths in a span of almost five weeks. So so it's a lot, but God, we won't allow it to weaken our motor. We won't allow it to weaken our love for you, our fervor for you. We want to still be as on fire for you as the day we first believe and God allow revival to break out in us and let us be a light to other churches, other ministries. First of all, I thank you for the kingdom of God. I thank you for kingdom believers in the body of Christ who have been praying for us. Thank you, God, that they haven't left us, but there have been people praying and calling our name out, but God let us be a light to the sinners. Just say, say that we can get through anything as long as God is on our side. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now, Father God, if there's anybody who doesn't know you, under the, uh, know you in the pardon of their sins, I'm praying, God, that you would save them. I won't even go through what we call the sinner's prayer. I'm just asking you to override and save them even when they didn't expect it. Even our apostle, he got saved when he didn't expect it. And he ended up being a lifelong servant of you. So do some stuff that people don't expect. And we thank you for it. Jesus name. Amen. And amen. God bless you. I love you. This is Andre Mitchell Ministries signing off. And I just want you to have a wonderful, wonderful day. Have a happy Thanksgiving. We will not have another Bible study Uh, until after Thanksgiving. So have a happy Thanksgiving. Stay grateful. Stay thankful. Stay on fire for God. God bless you.